Welcome to another episode of the In the Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to HealthWise 360 with Christy Cordingly. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to this episode of HealthWise 360, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media. I'm your show host, Christy Cordingly, and you'll be able to see this interview on In the Limelight TV, which is available on Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, and a hundred other smart TV apps. Plus, you can listen to the audio version of this interview anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And today I'm really thrilled because I'm going to be interviewing Anne S. Woodbury, who is an author and educator and has a bachelor's degree in family and child relationships and is an advisor to medical professionals unfamiliar with a rare disease, myotonic dystrophy. And a few of the common symptoms of that are fatigue, apathy, isolation, and withdrawal. And I'm just really thrilled to learn more about this. So thank you for being here today, Anne. Thank you. I'm, I love it when people are interested. <laughs> I am very interested. So let's just start off with sharing with listeners, what is myotonic dystrophy? Okay, well, myotonic dystrophy is um, considered a rare disease. It is one of the many muscular dystrophies. It is the most common adult onset, oh. but that does not mean that it doesn't affect um, children. It can be congenital. It, um, it It's one in 2,100 people is the how much it presents itself. But the more average amount of people that know about it is more like one in 8,000 because it's very misdiagnosed and seven years plus to get a diagnosis for most people. Yeah, that's, that's quite common for a lot of different chronic illnesses or rare ailments, right? It can be up to a decade sometimes for some of them. So I would imagine that would be really frustrating for people that do have some of these conditions. Um, I know that for my own self, because I was I have my own chronic illness, and I'm high functioning, but rest can often be stigmatized as laziness. And I know there's some parallels with myotonic dystrophy. So my oldest child also has a condition that keeps them very, you know, tired. And the other day they said to me, you know, mom, you know that I don't like laying around all the time, right? That this isn't what I want to be doing. It's a have to be doing. And I, of course, of course I understand. But why is that hard for some people to wrap their heads around the idea of laziness as something people should be ashamed of and have total control over when there's actual medical conditions? So maybe you can share a little bit about how that sort of gets stigmatized in myotonic dystrophy and how it presents. Well, well, that's the large reason why I wanted to write my book. Um, even though it may affect, uh, be a rare disease, some of the symptoms many people experience, I actually believe if we didn't have modern subsidies and the programs that we have in another era, my kids would be homeless. And, um, you know, it would just be really hard. And so it tends to not be recognized the way that it needs to be recognized. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how does it actually present in a person? So if someone has myotonic dystrophy, so I know your whole family, right? Your husband and your four children mm -hmm. all have been diagnosed with this disorder. Can you share a little bit about what that looks like in people? Like what, what the actual symptoms are, how maybe, maybe some examples of how um, 
interacting with them or how their life is lived that people may be like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that that could actually be symptom of the larger picture. Right. Um, so it manifests differently. In fact, they've got a big study going that my family just recently participated in in Rochester. And um, and they send you all of the equipment and they do a remote testing. But the main reason for this is because they want to try to understand why it's so variable mm. in people. Um, so my husband, who it so it has a unique trait where it gets worse in each generation. That's called anticipation. And um, there's a couple other diseases that have that. Fragile X um, is one of them. And so my husband virtually has no symptoms, except that he had um, early onset cataracts. But even the eye doctor wasn't picking up on that being an indicator of a disease. So we had all of our children and didn't know that it was in our family. And so by the time the youngest was seven and the oldest was 21 was when we started to figure this out. And so my children are more affected than my husband. I kept thinking I just have lazy teenagers Aww. and figured, you know, that that's because all of my kids have it. So I didn't know any other reality. And so just kind of learned that that's the way my kids were. And it wasn't until we got a diagnosis that we started to understand and find treatments and options. That must have been very um, reassuring for all of you, especially as a family. And I'm sure I would imagine that would have brought you much closer together, right? Because when you can understand and empathize with something, it just, it would bring you much closer together in connection. So that's wonderful. So people would get the symptoms of this, even though there's such a wide range of symptoms, but a lot of the symptoms would mimic uh, similar disorders or other disorders like autism spectrum disorder. So uh, how often do those two maybe get um, confused for each other by say medical professionals even, or by teachers or other people that are in the lives of these people and how do they actually differ? Well, and that is a very valid question. And as far as the prevalence of it being mixed up, I don't know. But anecdotally, um, my husband's cousin's child <laughs> um, was diagnosed with autism. And it wasn't until years later that they realized that it was myotonic dystrophy. And and the reverse happened with my family. They got diagnosed with biotonic dystrophy and eventually got diagnosed with Asperger's, which is really because of the myotonic dystrophy. It's the way that it affects the brain, the cognition. Um, but that's part of why I wanted to tell my story is because there's people out there that like my family, we didn't have a name for it. Um, we felt so isolated and so um, rejected. And yet if we were aware, or maybe if I'd been more aware that um, people can't help these things, you know, I, I kind of grew up thinking, because I'm a high, highly driven person. <laughs> and so I would just figure that people that were low income or different things like that just needed to find their own motivation button because obviously I'd found mine yeah. and and yet none of my kids had that and I knew in my heart that my kids were good stuff 
but they just weren't meshing with society. Mm-hmm. We ended up homeschooling for about six years before we got the diagnosis. Um, so it made a lot of changes in our lives. Absolutely. Well, the world is definitely set up for neurotypical people, mm-hmm. right? Rather than neurodivergent. And mm-hmm. it's, even though we still call them disorders, we're finding that some of these things aren't so much diseases as they are personality types and traits. They're just like, cause people live on a spectrum. All of us are part of a spectrum, whether it's autism or a different or neurotypical, right? It's a spectrum of Mm -hmm. uh, personalities and brain types. And um, so one of the symptoms is, and this, this kind of made me pause for a second, cause I know that this has, and it made me think, Oh, I wonder if my daughter, my, my oldest should get tested. Cause you said one of the symptoms is the ability to make decisions. And, And that's something that often we, tease people about right like oh you're so indecisive we may poke fun at them but how can you share a little more about how that actually that inability to make decisions could actually be part of a larger medical condition well it does have to do with the cognition and myotonic dystrophy affects the frontal temporal lobe which is your executive function and that's the same as an executive of a company it's your ability to manage your own life. And so therefore, the, their ability to make decisions, it's, they wouldn't see it as difficult, because they're still processing it, <laughs> and still making the decision. But now it's, you know, way later than a normal person would be. We had an opportunity where our city was doing a special at some restaurants, and they were doing a discount night, but you could only choose from two items on their menu instead Mm -hmm. of the whole menu that were at that discounted price. And we took our family to one of those, and that dinner was so easy because (laughs) they only had two choices, and it was just really um, eye-opening that... (laughs) Even when I'm presenting them with ideas, I need to narrow them down so that they don't have as much to choose from. <laughs> I, see, I'm I'm vegan, which is totally unrelated to this, but I relate to that because people are like, well, doesn't it bother you not having so many selections when you go to <laughs> like, no, it is so much easier. Yeah. There's one or two things. It makes me so less stressed when I go out to eat. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the less choices. It's just the choices done for me. This is much easier. Mm-hmm. So much easier. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I really love that your work is empowering. So it's empowering these people that maybe have, like you said, felt rejected for just being who they are uh, mm-hmm. or judged for being different or having a different time frame for how they operate, right? Cognitively. Um, and you really help people realize that they can put in place self-care routines that make sense for their own individuality. And I know even um, myotonic dystrophy appears different in everybody as well. So they do have to be individual and they do have to decide. So how can people with myotonic dystrophy really start creating their own personalized self-care routine? I think for me, what it would be would be to recognize that these things are difficult. And if they have an option of having an advocate, um, get somebody engaged that can help them streamline some of the things that they have to do, because um, even their self-awareness is affected. And, And my two youngest, who are the most affected, quite frankly, don't think there's anything wrong with them. They just <laughs> think that mom's figured out how to get them a monthly paycheck from the government. You yeah. know? <laughs> so, 
so their self-awareness might be limited and um and yet to be open to the fact that involve somebody else that can give you some honest dialogue and feedback would be my best suggestion mm-hmm. now <laughs> just on that so if they lack the self-awareness can they become more self-aware as things or is it really just we're just putting these things in place specifically or can they develop a little more self-awareness and be like oh now I get it I understand why I am this way and the world is that way but I'm okay to be this way can that grow within a person with myotonic dystrophy um yes and no so how they're wired is how they're wired but at the same time um with the dialogue that we I have with my kids Um, My daughter is very self-aware. She actually is genetically affected the most, but because it doesn't carry true to the, to the way they diagnose it, Um, where my two younger ones are less self-aware, but they're aware that I say that about them. And so then sometimes they'll ask for feedback um, because they're aware that I'm seeing that they're missing something. And so that's really important too. If you can have a relationship where you're there's a lot of trust and a lot of sensitivity, it really helps. Absolutely. So, and that would lead me to the next question. So, as caregivers or parents, spouses, friends of those with myotonic dystrophy, or people perhaps that are presenting differently than a neurotypical person, you know, how can we tell the difference between when we're enabling them or empowering them? Well, that has been the challenge of my life. (laughs) Um, And and I came at this with a degree in family and child relationships. So, you know, I, I... I, I should have been as prepared as anybody could be, but um, I all the time think of the saying about um, giving them wings. Um, and so my kids are very much, especially the two that are the most affected, are very much dependent on the support of others, but they no longer live at home because we've reached out and got them into public housing, which is kind of like section eight. So their housing is subsidized, but then they get a caregiver that comes in and helps them. The worst part for them is to wake up in the morning. And so they come in and get them up in the mornings and then also help them with planning their meals and stuff. So just being aware that there are resources out there that can help them be as independent as possible. And yet still living with what they have to deal with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really wonderful. So what, what are some things or signs or symptoms that maybe people could look for in themselves or in their children or in the people that they love that maybe they're just like, you know, they, they're not really understanding why they're maybe impatient with them or not understanding why they think the way they do or communicate the way they do. What are some things that people could look out for that it may be a good time to look into whether or not this could possibly be uh, the diagnosis for them? The two most common um, and debilitating parts of the disease are the extreme fatigue. And then most people have a lot of GI distress. The the muscles, smooth muscles in the digestive system are affected. And um, 
so the things to look for are just if you're noticing some of those kind of things, then you could start asking questions. The sad thing is that most doctors have never, even doctors have never heard of it. And so if you're really thinking that there might be a possibility, reach out to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and get have them refer you to a doctor that knows about it, because that's the only way you're going to get someone that can help you figure it out. Mm-hmm. What is, can you tell me? I'm just interested in the gastrointestinal. What? How does that present? Like with with the muscle and that? Does it mean that it's harder or it's easier? Like, can you just tell, share a little more? Um, so, um, myotonia is the inability of the muscles to stop firing. So when my kids do this, they can't quite open their hands. Oh yes. So the muscles keep firing. So if you think about that in your GI system, um, it like it would stay constricted when you don't want it to. Um, it also just affects the motility. The stuff processes slower. And my one son, um, we ended up taking him to a pelvic floor specialist, which was originally for women after childbirth, but they found that there's many people that this can help with. And here this young man was, and he was probably 35 at the time we found this out. And he was always having GI distress. We found out he could not pass gas. So you can imagine the GI distress if that was staying inside of him. So he had to be taught how to be aware of those muscles. And it's it's not that he could control them, but he could pay attention to when they were constricted and, and hold through that, sit through that until he could find a time that it would relax and just be self-aware so that then he could learn how to pass gas, something that basic. It had never crossed my mind that he couldn't do that. And so it's, you can imagine how compromising and uncomfortable that would be. So, so this particular child is Michael and he has a feeding tube, but he has a feeding tube because we started noticing that he was having choking episodes when the weather was hot. Oh, interesting. And the speech therapist helped us figure that out, that he was possibly dehydrated. So we gave him a feeding tube and we used it like you assume a feeding tube is, which is just, you know, for nutrition and everything. And he was putting on weight and it just wasn't working well. Um, So, and at that point we hadn't figured out the dehydration part. So we kind of just left the feeding tube alone for a while until we figured this out. And now he uses his feeding tube two times a day to put, um, I think, more than, thir- well, probably about 32 ounces of water in through his feeding tube twice a day. And then he can eat normally because his muscles work because he has hydration. But if he didn't have that, he we were having to give him the Heimlich maneuver. Oh my goodness. How scary would that be? But that would be, that makes sense to me. That's sort of like you mm-hmm. put oil in a car to grease mm-hmm. the engine. So we are water. We need that lubrication. So that makes yes. a lot of sense, right? When things get kind of hard, that would make a lot of sense to me. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I really yeah. appreciate that. That's, it's amazing. Um, so if you had any last words of advice to people or what would you like the world to know about myotonic dystrophy? Well, I'd like the world to be aware of anybody that is atypical and that they're not being the way they are 
with some agenda. It's that they can't help it. They're we're, almost all of us are doing the best we can. And, um, and so just have space for the differences. Yeah. What was the rest of the question? I think that that answers it really is okay. to, you know, release judgment, have empathy and get curious as to the, the why, right? It's not the behavior or the action. It is, it is, you know, how someone actually thinks and works and that that's okay if it's different, right? That everybody needs empathy and support. So the curiosity is really critical in the myotonic community because it's a generational disease because it affects each generation more when a child gets diagnosed, then one of the parents get diagnosed and then a grandparent, and they're probably at all similar levels at that point. But because of the way it affects the cognition, the um, older generations, uh, is this just seems so common, don't really want to understand it because, well, I functioned this long, what's their problem? <laughs> you know. And so curiosity is a very important part in our lives. Absolutely. Yeah, that I... I had to struggle so other people should. Yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting dynamic, but <laughs> I guess it's also part of the disease too. Is you think certain ways, then it can be yes. just. I mean, it's it's a product of the disorder itself. I would imagine. So, really, really interesting. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for sharing this wonderful information. And where can people find you and learn more about the services that you offer? So my book is online. It's surviving myotonic dystrophy. And you can get that on Amazon. You can also follow my blog at nswoodbury.com or mycosmyfamily.com. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much. And it was really such a pleasure to have you here with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of HealthWise 360 here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe, and don't forget to tell your friends.